It's a long one. I've been asked to read it quite quickly. So my voice is all husky because those hymns were highway. <laughs> right. Doesn't matter though, the Lord um, hears our voices and thinks they're wonderful. Okay. Right. Job 31. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. For what is a man's lot from God above, his heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not ruin for the wicked, disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see my ways and count my every step? If I have walked in falsehood or my foot has hurried after deceit, let God weigh me in honest scales, and he will know that I am blameless. If my steps have turned from the path, if my heart has been led by my eyes, or if my hands have been defiled, then may others eat what I have sown, and may my crops be uprooted. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbour's door, then may my wife grind another man's grain, and may other men sleep with her, for that would have been shameful, a sin to be judged. It is a fire that burns to destruction. It would have uprooted my harvest. If I have denied justice to my men servants and maidservants when they had a grievance against me, what will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? If I have denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, but from my youth I reared him as would a father, and from my birth I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or a needy man without a garment, and his heart did not bless me for warming him with the fleece from my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, and then let my arm fall from the shoulder, let it be broken off at the joint, for I dreaded destruction from God, and for fear of his splendour I could not do such things. If I have put my trust in gold or said to pure gold, you are my security. If I have rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands had gained. If I have regarded the sun in its radiance or the moon moving in splendor so that my heart was secretly enticed and my hand offered them a kiss of homage. That these would be sins to be judged for I would have been unfaithful to God on high. If I have rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune or gloated over the trouble that came to him, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by invoking a curse against his life. If the men of my household have never said, who has not had his fill of Job's meat? No stranger had to spend the night in the street, for my door was always open to the traveller. If I have concealed my sin as men do, by hiding my guilt in my heart because I so feared the crowd and so dreaded the contempt of the clans that I kept silent and would not go outside. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defence. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him an account of my every step. Like a prince, I would approach him. If my land cries out against me and all its furrows are wet with tears, if I have devoured its yield without payment or broken the spirits of its tenants, then let briars come up instead of wheat and weeds instead of barley. 
the words of Job are ended. Thank you, Natalie. I wonder how many of us could write a, a, a passage like that. Seems quite a blameless man, doesn't he, Job? I wonder who we could, could, if we could write these things down that we've never looked lustfully and never done anything wrong. I wonder if you've ever been blamed for anything that you haven't done before, or maybe you've, on the other hand, maybe you've blamed someone for something that you've done before. I know, certainly I have, when I was younger, I'd blame a lot of things on my sister, when I actually was the, wrong, the person who'd done things wrong. I know it's hard to believe. But. So obviously we've got, uh, we're learning a little bit about Job today. Um, so this book, Book of Job, deals with the ageless question concerning suffering, particularly the suffering of a righteous or a good person. So Job was a righteous man, and the book shows the suffering of Job came from the Lord, who allowed Satan to attack him in order to prepare him for greater blessings later on in his life. Job's key word is tested. In, in chapter 23 it says, uh, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. So we learn in this book that Job was a self-righteous man. And I'm sure you'd agree, um, our suffering and our trials in our lives help us, they teach us, and they train us. I think we learn a lot about ourselves when we go through trials, don't we? I've got a, a quote. Uh, I'm not as, as uh, prepared as John Allen, otherwise I'd have it on the screen. I don't have as much time as him, or maybe I do. But <laughs> A quote from F.B. Mayne, a famous evangelist from the 1800s. And he says this, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves one above the other, and that the, the taller we grew in Christian character, the more easily we should reach them. I find now God's gifts are on shelves one beneath the other. And that is not a question of growing taller, but of stooping lower, and that we have to go down, always down, to get his best ones. So maybe we can look back in our own lives and we can see how, we, how well we've handled different trials and different sufferings, or if we didn't ha handle them very well. Did we glorify God when we were suffering, or did we let God and ourselves down? We should draw closer to God in, time to in times of trials, and I'm sure we do. Or are we guilty of spending more time with God when things are tough, instead of spending time with God all the time? I know sometimes I, I find myself, when life's going well, I, you, know, you, you can maybe be a little bit guilty of not spending as much time with God, but as soon as something tough comes up in the way, turn straight to him, don't we? So when you think about um, athletics, uh, they're not put under strict discipline for punishment, but it's to make them ready for the race. Christ is continually making us ready for the race set in front of us. I read somewhere that this book is one of the most ancient, complete pieces of literature in existence. That's quite interesting, isn't it? It's quite fitting that one of the oldest books deals with one of the oldest questions. Why do godly people suffer? And, and, and as we've just read, you can see that Job must have been a, a godly man for the way he's written these things down. 
you find that the question about suffering isn't actually answered. The ultimate reason for Job's suffering isn't answered. The book deals with suffering, deals with good people suffering. Why do good people have to suffer? Why do good people have to die? We often hear it, don't we? This person was taken too soon. Job accuses God of being unjust, and he also accuses him of not ruling the world according to justice. Job's friend said God is just, so he must be punishing him for the bad things he has done wrong. You, get that, you hear people say, don't you, good, if you're good, you get good things, or if you're bad, you'll get bad things happen to you. But we see that isn't the case. People always ask, why does God allow good people to suffer? And I'm sure we've all wondered ourselves, why does that good person have to die or of, an, of an awful disease or have to be in so much pain? And look at what happens here with Job. He lost everything. He was surrounded by wealth, family, position and friends. Job was a good, good person. It says so in chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. There was a man in the land of, I think it's Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 male donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. So we can see that he was very blessed with lots of things. Job was right both with man and with God. And it was God who described him and said, there is no man like him on earth. It says so in chapter 1, verse 8. How amazing that is to be described as no man like him on earth. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my son, my servant, Job? There is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And just a few verses in the chapter, and that's been said twice how he's a, a blameless man, a man who feared God and shunned evil. I wonder, do we fear God? I hear a lot of people saying it recently. There's no fear of God these days. People don't fear him. We, see, we talk to people on the doors and people like listening to our gospel message. But there's no, there's no desperation. They don't understand. They don't fear God. When we talk about fear... On a little bit of a side note, I remember when I was younger, my, uh, my grandma, she was about three foot tall, and <laughs> she, used to, she used to threaten me with red hot hands. She said, you don't want me to smack you, I've got red hot hands. I never, I never felt them, because I was way too scared to, to, to push her too far. And that's the way we should be with God, isn't it? The, God, the Bible teaches us that, that we'll be thrown into burning fire, and we need to fear God. If we don't obey him, we'll be, we'll be cast out away from him forever. This chapter, so chapter 31, it recobes Job's final defense. He's defending his actions before God and before his friends. It reads like a legal document where Job puts himself under oath before God and he asks for God to judge him if he has done anything wrong. And Job concluded his defense by mentioning three specific sins that could trip any one of us up. Now the first one in verse 1 to 4 talks about lust, deceit in verse 5 to 8, and adultery in 9 to 12. 
So lust says Job made a covenant with his eyes. He made a deal with himself. I see it almost like a, like a New Year resolution. You know, it's difficult to make these things, make these decisions on our own. But with God's strength, he will help us get through these, these difficult times. With God, all things are, are possible. Now, at this time, this time of, of Job, when Job was around, it probably would have been quite normal for men to have more than one wife, a concubine, but Job chose not to be like everyone else. He knew what would be pleasing to God, so he only had one wife. And I don't blame him. <laughs> See, those who want to keep their hearts pure must guide their eyes, which are both the outlets and inlets of uncleanliness. What God, what goes in our eyes can make us unclean. We read about wanting eyes and eyes full of adultery. It says so in, in 2 Peter 2. But also, you will remember that the first sin began in the eye, didn't it? In Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw the fruit was good to eat and pleasing to the eye. So what we do not meddle with, we do not lust after. And what we do not lust after, we do not look at. Not the forbidden wealth, it says so in Proverbs 23, cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. We know they won't last forever. Not the forbidden wine. Do not gaze at wine or beer. When it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, in the end it bites like a viper. And also look, the forbidden woman. Matthew 5 says, But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her heart, with her in his heart. So Job would not so much as allow a wanting thought. It says so in, 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 in uh, the first verse, 1, 2, and 3, um, the first part of verse 3. Why then should I think upon a maid with any unchaste fancy or desire towards her? See, if we truly fear God and love God, then the fear of God will keep us from even thinking about looking lustfully at women, money, or desires. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, you know, um, have you not heard that these things, you won't inherit the kingdom of God? Um, drinking and um, sexual immorality and all these things, men who have sex with men, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we should be aware of that, shouldn't we? We need to remember that all the time. It says in verse 2, what portion of God is there from above? What blessing can such impure sinners expect? from the pure and holy God, or what token of his favour? What inheritance of the Almighty can they look for from on hand? There is no portion, no inheritance, no true happiness for a soul, but that which is in God, in the Almighty, and what comes from above, from on high. Not from earthly desires, but only from God, is there true happiness for our soul. You know, you hear it a lot in, 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 in today's society. It's fine to sleep around and do whatever you want. But we know that that's not what God wants for us. God has a better plan for us. Ephesians 5 says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Revelation 22 says, outside are dogs, those who practice magic arts and sexual immoral, sec the sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, 
everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Just before that, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, they have the right to, to, to the tree of life, and may go through the city gates. It's a reminder that we must confess our sins before it's too late. Lust is the first step towards sin, and sin is the first step towards death. That's what it says in James 1, verse 13 to 16. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Seeing and admiring an attractive person is one thing, but it is something else to look with lust. Make the choice to look away. Don't look a second time. Sin starts in your mind and heart and is the first step toward the act. Who knows where a polluted mind leads us? Now, there's two things that Job points out in this chapter. God's omniscience, it says so in verse 8, verse 4, the first part of verse 4, God sees everything. And also, God's observance, the second part of verse 4, God counts every step. Remember, God looks down and sees both our actions and our innermost thoughts and desires. Hebrews 4 says that God will judge both of these things. Now, the second thing that, uh, that Job mentions, he talks about deceit. It's the second sin which, John, which Job talks about. It's, a, it's another one that Job denies. He never used deception in his, businesses, in his business dealings in order to take money. In fact, he wouldn't even walk with people who did such things. Job's scales were honest and was not afraid to, to, for God to weigh him in. So his heart had not been covetous and his hands weren't defiled because he had not taken what were not his. If he were guilty of these, thing, of these two things, then he was willing for his next season's crops to be taken away by others. That's what it says in verse 8. So sure that he hadn't done these things that he said, let other people take my harvest. Now, the, the third one that he talks about is adultery. Adultery begins with lust in the heart. It says in verse 1, it begins with lust from the heart. That leads to secret attempts to satisfy lustful desires. Job had never lurked about to see when his neighbor's wife would be a lion. If he were guilty, he would be willing for his own wife to become another man's slave. Adultery is an awful crime which brings shameful and painful consequences in this life and judgment in the next. Job had specially guarded against impurity for its heritage is one of a calamity and disaster. He is sure that even if he were weighed by God himself, there would be no sin discovered in him. He even goes far, goes so far as to accept the most awful results if he has sinned against the seventh commandment. So um, Job was so careful in his self-examination that he even included his treatment of his servants. 
most masters in that day would have ignored the aspect, this aspect of life, but Job treated his servants generously because he knew one day he would have to give an account before God. That's what it says in, in verse 14. When he punishes, he sh how shall I answer him? When he stands before God, what answer will he give to how he has treated other people? <clears throat> Most masters in that day would, would have ignored um, how, how, how they would have treated their servants. Because, uh, yeah, uh, Ephesians 6, 9 says how workers should be treated, showing love and, and, and Christ, showing Christ through his actions. It's a reminder for us, isn't it, that we should be loving to everybody and that we should be, be more like Christ in our, in our day-to-day -day life. In, um, in verses 16 to 23, Job explains where, where he had cared for the poor and needy. He wasn't boasting about what he'd done. He was defending himself, and he wanted to clear his name before God. If he had lifted his hand in court before any man, he said he hoped God would rip that arm from his socket. That's a bold claim, isn't it? In verse 24 to 28, Job worshipped God with a sincere heart. He didn't worship his wealth or his trust for his security, nor did he take credit for earning it. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Job did not worship gold. He didn't worship the sun or the moon. If he had committed such sins, people might not see it, but God would, and he would judge Job for being unfaithful to him. In other words, people can't see what we do behind closed doors, can they? But God sees everything. In verse 38 to 40, Job talks about the land he was looking after. Job treated the land like it, was his per like it was a person. If he had abused the land, it would have cried out in person. If his servants had been overworked and underpaid, God would have every reason to give Job a harvest of weeds rather than wheat and barley. He then waits a reply from God. Imagine that, waiting for a reply from God. I've got another quote from F.B. Mayer. Uh, he's an, uh, it's a, a Bible commentary which I, which I wrote, and he writes about talking to God the way Job did and, want, and waiting for a reply. And he says this, We are too deeply convicted of our sins. We even dare do this, and so we must rely on the merits of Christ. We feel bad, don't we, when we come before God because we've done things wrong. But we must rely on the merits of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And it's because of him that we're able to approach the uncreated God. Because of Jesus, we can come before God. So when I first read this chapter, I looked at it, I thought, was Job a perfect man? Surely he couldn't have been. As I've already said, verse, chapter 1, verse 8 says, God describes Job and says there's no one like him on earth. So maybe this chapter that we've read through, maybe it's a reminder for us that we need to turn away from a certain sin. Maybe it's overtaken us. We, 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 we don't realise that we've been doing it. 
Maybe it's a reminder that we, we, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to turn away from certain things that we've been doing wrong. Remember, remember that none of us are perfect. We all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. And that's why Jesus died, wasn't it? He was bruised for our iniquities, for the things we've done wrong. He took the punishment. Now in the end of Job, God reveals himself. He reveals himself to, to Job. And when we see God, something happens, doesn't it? When we see God, when we come in God's presence. See, godly people like Job are allowed to suffer so they may see themselves. It, it shows our character, doesn't it? When you look at Isaiah, Isaiah says, when Isaiah saw himself, who he really was, he cried out, I am a man of unclean lips. God allows his children to suffer in order to reveal character and to reveal hidden sin. In Job's case, the hidden sin was self-righteousness. Do you ever think you look all right until you go out with someone and you look at how they are and you immediately realise that maybe they're better than you and you're not as good as you thought? This often is true in the presence of Christ. When we look at Christ, we see how sinful we are. We need to come before Jesus and ask for forgiveness from our heart to be cleansed from our sin. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us keep a pure heart and to separate us from sin. That way we may walk without impure thoughts. So Job was a blameless man. He was a religious man who feared God and he kept his commandments. But he was self-righteous. It says so in, the, in, in chapter 32, he was a self-righteous man until he actually saw God. In, in chapter 42, at the end, in verse 5 to 6, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I despise, therefore, I despise myself and repent. So he's realised of his wrongdoing and he's repented. So Job realises that God is actually just. Job knew all about God. He'd heard all about him, but he didn't fully grasp it. Maybe that's one of us this morning. Maybe we come to church week in, week out, and we hear about God all the time, but we don't fully understand who he is. Job went from religious to relational because God had revealed himself to him. How amazing is that? And he's done that to most of us here this morning, hasn't he? He's revealed himself to us. How he created the world and everything in it. How he gives us life and breath every day. God revealed himself by his spirit. Job then repented of his self-righteousness because he saw just how amazing God is. Praise God we can be forgiven because of what Jesus has done for us. No amount of words will convince people to turn to God. Only his spirit will do that. We should fear God. It is the start of wisdom. We should seek to live holy lives. I wonder how we would react if God took all good things from our lives. 
Would we still trust God or would we turn our backs on him? That's what happens, isn't it, in these prosperity churches. They talk about love and, and how God wants to bless you. But as soon as things go wrong in your life, they don't understand why, why it's happened. So they turn away. I wonder if you know all about God this morning. I wonder if you know about him in your head. Do you need to ask him to reveal himself to you this morning in a new and personal way? Do we think being good will get us into heaven? Do you think by being religious we will make it there? It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that it's only through Jesus Christ. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to get to heaven is through him. Thank you.